Well, if you've been here in the last few weeks, uh, you've seen that Jesus, now we've been going through our gospel in the series of uh, uh, Gospel of Luke, he's, been entered into, he's entering into Jerusalem. Last week, he, we saw that as he was entering in, he was weeping over the city because he knew uh, that the city would eventually reject him. We come to see that rejection now in our text today. Uh, but here's the question I want to start with. Uh, when people, back then or even today, when people reject Jesus as their king, exactly what are they rejecting? Like what part of it about Jesus is it that they are rejecting, that they don't want? Well, we'll see here in our our text that as Jesus begins to go through and, and interact with the religious leaders of his day, we see that when they reject Jesus as king, what they are rejecting primarily is Jesus's authority. His authority as king over them. It is that that they do not want. It is that that they are rejecting. And so we're going to read through the passage. Uh, We'll read it all, and then we'll go and we'll break it down into three sections. So if you want to read along with me, uh, open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 47. We're going to go all the way through to chapter 20, verse 19. It says this, And he, Jesus, was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was it the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. 
The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. This is God's word. So like I said, I'd like to break the text down into three sections. Three sections having to do with Jesus' authority. Uh, The first is authority questioned, authority rejected, and then authority used. We see Jesus' authority questioned, we see his authority rejected, and then we see his authority used. So first, uh, Jesus' authority questioned. Uh, We see from the very beginning of this passage, as Jesus enters the city, uh, the religious leaders are set against Jesus. They've already decided that they want to destroy him. Look at verses 47 and 48. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So all the people are excited about Jesus. They're listening intently. Uh, But the leaders, these chief priests, scribes, and principal men of the city, probably the elders, uh, these people want to destroy Jesus. They've already made it up in their mind. And uh, these people, um, we need to understand who they are. These are not the Pharisees. Pharisees are a different group of people. We've seen them before. Uh, this group of, the, uh, of people, uh, they were uh, less of like the religious teachers and more kind of influential in the politics and the, the courts in, in what had to do with governing the Israel's laws at those times. And so it's, uh, of course, all intertwined with the religious, uh, but these are people with authority and power. Th- these are the, the ones who, who had authority to make things happen, the movers and shakers of the, the, the city, so to speak. They were official Israel. And they had this authority through various different means. Uh, There was a rabbinic tradition that they had followed through. Uh, There were certain temple um, authorities in the way the temple system had been set up, that they had authority in that way. And they also even had authority from the Roman government, who was over that area. Uh, They had granted these people uh, authority to deal with certain cases and to judge those kinds of things. And so they come along, And they see Jesus, and Jesus begins uh, teaching, and he teaches uh, as one who has authority. Except the the authority he has, the way he's saying it, it doesn't seem to come from them. They're the ones who have the authority, and Jesus is teaching with some kind of other authority. So they want to come and question him, kind of show that he's illegitimate. So this is what they they do, verses 1 and 2. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? They're saying, Jesus, where'd you get the authority to just come into the temple and start preaching? Because we didn't give it to you. So where are you getting this authority, Jesus? Because when Jesus comes in and he speaks, he speaks with authority that's very different than other people. The rabbis at the time, uh, they would come and they would read the scripture and then they would usually say something like, Rabbi so-and-so says this. You know, another rabbi so-and-so says that. So I think this is what we should do. But Jesus didn't speak like that. He didn't even speak like some of the prophets did. The prophets would come and they would say, thus says the Lord. There's a, a heavenly authority. The Lord has said this and I am conveying that message to you. But Jesus doesn't speak like that. When Jesus teaches, he teaches as the one who himself has the authority. He says things like, you have heard it said, but truly, truly, I say to you. He he puts the authority in and of himself. 
And so these, these leaders are coming and saying, Jesus, you're saying you've got this authority. Where's it coming from? Because it didn't come from us. And so Jesus responds to their question, and he responds by pointing to John the Baptist. Uh, look at what he says in verse 3. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And so he kind of points to John and basically says, okay, John the Baptist, he was out there baptizing. Now he didn't have your, your guys' authority so was his authority, was it just from man or from heaven? Because if it could be from heaven, could it be that my authority could also be from heaven? Right? Because John, if his authority is from heaven, when Jesus was baptized, right, this is the one who John said, this is the lamb of the world, or the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was the one who said, I, I saw the spirit descend on him like a dove, a voice from heaven that said, this is my son. So to say where John's authority comes from is to really say where Jesus' authority comes from. But the leaders, when they are pressed with this, they don't want to commit. They're kind of in this dilemma. Verse 5. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And, and so the leaders here, it's not that they don't have an answer. It's that they don't want to give an answer. Right? They didn't believe that John's authority came from heaven. They believed it came from men. That's why they weren't following after John. That's why they weren't baptized. But they're in this dilemma because if they, if they say John's authority was from heaven, it implicates themselves. They didn't go and get baptized. They didn't follow him. They didn't do that. There's a problem then. But if they say it's from man, everybody else thought his authority did come from heaven. They thought he was a prophet, so they will stone him. Or at least they'll lose power, they'll lose influence among the crowds and among the people. So they don't want to commit. They don't want to commit about John. And there are many today who don't want to commit about Jesus. Right? The question of Jesus' authority today is actually one that all of us have to answer. Not a question about John's authority, but a question ultimately about Jesus' authority. That's what they were really questioning. Is Jesus the king? Does he actually have this authority that he claims to have? And there's many today that, like the leaders at this time, uh, they don't want to commit. They don't want to say, yes, Jesus is the authority, and they, they don't want to really say he isn't. They say, I don't know, or I'm not sure. And, and when I talk about these people, I, I'm not talking about non-religious people. I, I'm actually talking about religious people. People who attend church. People who talk about God, who fit in with the Christian community. There are many people here who have this same dilemma. Because if Jesus' authority is really from God, the creator, sustainer of the world. If he is the king, then we need to follow him. Not a little bit, like all in. Like we don't just obey some of the king's commands. We are to obey all of them. We are to live all out for King Jesus. We can't just decide what we want to obey and what we don't. We can't say, oh, what right does Jesus have me to tell me how to live? He, he has every right. 
But at the same time, we may not want to totally deny Jesus. We don't want to totally commit, but we don't want to totally deny that Jesus has at least some authority because we don't want to mess up a good thing. You know, we're here in the church. We've got friends and we've got family who attend. We kind of like coming on Sunday mornings. It kind of feels good. You know, there's things for our kids. Yeah, I, I sometimes feel encouraged. There's things going on and I don't want to rock the boat. It's not really worth it to deny Jesus altogether, say he doesn't have any authority. But I don't want to really live my life totally for him. I don't want to say he actually has that because then I need to live that way. And so we end up sitting on the fence saying, I'm not sure. I don't really know. I'm still figuring it out. And not that we would say that necessarily out loud, but in our minds, we kind of want to hold off judgment a little bit. I'm just not sure about a couple things about Jesus because we, we know that if we actually think he's the king, it actually means all of our life belongs to him. We kind of want to stay in this casual middle where we don't have to give up everything. We don't have to commit our whole life to him, but we don't lose all the kind of nice, good things that maybe we've grown up with or we've become accustomed to with our friends and family, our community that we have. We, we kind of like that we can just take bits and pieces of Jesus that we like and incorporate them into our life. And we like this little part and we like this part about Jesus. We don't like that part. We can just bring in those little pieces that we like and still have everything be nice and cozy the way we want. We sit on the fence. And so, so I don't know if that's you, but you may be here. These kind of people are the people who are attending church. The people who are listening to this sermon who know that in their mind, Jesus is not the ultimate authority but they don't want to give him up totally because they know what that means. And so they sit in this, this middle. Of, I'm not sure. I don't know. But as we'll see with the Jewish leaders here, uh, their non-commitment about Jesus' authority is really a commitment. To be not sure about Jesus' authority is to reject Jesus' authority. This is the second uh, point that we see. We saw that Jesus' authority is questioned. We see that his authority then is rejected. Uh, Jesus begins to tell a parable, a parable to illustrate uh, these religious leaders and their rejection of Jesus. He begins in, in verse nine. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. So Jesus begins to tell this parable and he kind of sets the scene. There's a couple main uh, characters and people in the story we need to understand. Uh, this is kind of one of Jesus' most allegorical uh, parables. There's a connection uh, for each kind of part of the story. And uh, in the story, in the parable, the owner of this vineyard, the one who sets it up, who gets it going, is God. He's the owner of this vineyard. The vineyard itself is Israel. It's God's people at that time. Uh, there were many of texts in the Old Testament that talk about Israel as a vineyard, as a luxuriant vine. This would have been an, an image that would be familiar to the people at the time. They would understand themselves to be this vineyard. Uh, the tenants then, those who have kind of leased out, rented the vineyard for their use, uh, they are uh, the leaders of Israel, official Israel, the people who are tasked with caring for the people of God. They are the priests, the scribes, the elders. 
And so we begin to see uh, the parable unfold in verse 10. When the time came, he, the owner, uh, sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. And so it was common at that time for uh, vineyards to be leased out to tenants. And, and what would be normal would be, you know, after a season of growing, when the fruit is all produced, a, a portion would be given back to whoever owned the land. This is kind of like their rent payment uh, for having the vineyard. And so the owner goes and sends a servant to kind of collect his rent. But when the servant comes, uh, he is not given anything, but he's in fact beaten and sent back. Well, there's two more that come, the same thing escalating happens to them. Uh, these servants in the story are God's prophets. They're the people that God uh, sent throughout Israel's history, uh, warning God's people to turn and return to God. There is a return that the people need to make of honor, obedience, uh, of praise to God. And these leaders are not facilitating that happen. So he sends servants to warn them, say, come back to me, return to me. Uh, but they don't. Often the prophets uh, were killed, were stoned, were beaten. And so we, we get to this point where the owner is not sure what to do. He sent three servants. Uh, this is what he says in verse uh, 13. He says, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? And if you were listening to this story at the time, there would be no doubt in your mind what the owner should do. The law is on his side. He should go and find a force big enough. He should bring it to the vineyard. He should come and if, you know what, if the tenants uh, surrender, you know what, punish them. If not, destroy them, drive them out and give the vineyard to people who will actually take care of it and who will actually give the owner his due. He should come and do what is right and just. And the owner didn't need to wait till he sent three servants. He could have done this at the very beginning. That's what's in everybody's mind. But when Jesus tells a story, that's not what the owner actually does. Look at how the owner responds. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. This is the heir. Let us kill him so the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So we see God here sends his own son, is representing Jesus, coming to the people. He sends his own flesh and blood. He sends Jesus. And this uh, treatment of Jesus is, of course, predicting how Jesus will be treated in a few days from now. Uh, he will be beaten, he'll be mocked, he'll be scorned, and he'll be killed outside the city. So they reject Jesus and the authority that he brings. He comes with this authority, with this message from the owner, from God, saying, you need to pay you need to give what is rightfully his, and the people say no. And they reject that authority. The question, though, is why? Why, why do they reject it? The answer seems to be that they don't really want an owner over them. They don't want someone telling them what they need to do. They want to be able to have this vineyard for themselves. They want to have the fruits of it without having to answer to anyone. 
right? They, they want all the good things that God has brought. They, they're happy with the temple system, the sacrificial system, with all the ways things are set up, but they don't want somebody over them who's telling them how to run it. They want God's kingdom without God's king. They, they want to be the rulers. They want to be the ones in charge over it. They don't want someone above them telling them how they are to live, how they are to act. And in a sense, that, that's really the human condition, isn't it? Like, like all of us, we were created by God to serve him, to honor him, to live for him. And, and we, we don't like this idea, though, that there is someone we need to answer to, someone over us, above us, that actually has a say, has a claim on our lives, we want our lives to be ours. We want to live how we want to live. We want to follow what we want to follow. And the idea that there's somebody else who we have to answer to, we, we don't like that. We want to get out from under that. Right? That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God, you know, comes to Adam and Eve, says, any tree you want, go for it, go nuts. Except for one, don't eat of it. You will surely die. And what do they do? They say, well, you know, it looks pleasurable to the eye. It looks good you know what, Satan, what does he say? He says, well, you can be like God. You, you can be the authority. Don't listen to God. And they, they step out from under God's authority and become an authority of their own. And that, that is really the essential condition, the essential problem of humanity ever since. Our, our condition by nature is not just that we are broken people and we mess up. It's not just that we do wrong things. Our essential condition is that we are rebels, we don't want God's authority. We don't want him as king. And so we push against that. We push back. We, we want all the good things God's kingdom brings. We, we want the peace. We want the righteousness. We want the justice. We want all those good things. We just don't want God to be king. We like to do it ourselves. We'd like to be in control. We'd like to be on top of those things. And it's worth saying just at this point, though, that authority in and of itself is not a bad thing. Like, a, a, authority it, itself is not bad. It can be wrongly wielded. It can be abused. And we've maybe seen evidences of that in our own life or of, of others. But authority itself is not bad. The fact that there is someone in authority over us is, in fact, a good thing if that person uses that authority wisely and for the good of those under them. Uh, we've maybe seen uh, parents who have used their authority well in the raising of their kids and their kids have grown up really well. It might not have been our experience. Maybe it was, but we, we've seen people who, who've raised their kids well using their authority for the good of their kids. We, we've seen bosses or owners of companies who are over their employees and yet their employees are thriving and growing because they use that authority for the good of their people. And yet, even though God's authority is good and right, and it is wonderful to, for us to live under that, we naturally do not want it. We naturally want to reject that. And that, that is what has led many people to reject Jesus. Uh, there are many who reject Jesus not because they don't understand his message, although there, there are some who reject it because of that, but it's not just because they don't understand his message or they don't even believe that it's true. They, they, they may wrestle with that. But many people, they reject Jesus because of the claim he makes on their lives. 
He's king. It means that we don't decide what we do and how we live. It means he decides. And that confronting reality keeps many people from bowing the knee to Jesus. In fact, I I knew a a young girl. She grew up in the church. Grew up in the church and uh, was raised in the church and believed uh, many of the things that we would all believe. Grew up, uh, went off to university and, um, you know, encountered many of the temptations uh, and worldly things that kind of happen at that age. And uh, knowing her at that time, there was a, a time where if you talked with her, she would say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. It wasn't that she didn't believe the things were true. But she ended up walking away from her faith because there were ways she wanted to live her life that she knew God didn't approve of. And so she ended up leaving it, not because she didn't believe it was true. It was because there was a claim that she had to live under the lordship of Jesus. And for that reason, many reject Jesus even today. So we've seen Jesus' authority. It's been questioned. It's been rejected. But lastly, Jesus' authority is now used. The, the authority that has been rejected is now used. We see that the owner actually does come and he does what everybody expected the owner would do. What would be just and right, he uses, he executes the authority he has as the owner of that property. Uh, look at verse uh, 15. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them, the tenants? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. There's two things that are highlighted. That there is a a judgment, that he is going to destroy the tenants, and that there is a transfer going to happen, that the vineyard will be given to others. And when we see the reaction uh, of the people here, uh, at the end of verse uh, 16, it says, when they heard this, they said, Surely not. Like the expression there is, is almost like God forbid. Like no way. How could this be possible? And we don't know who that is that's saying it, whether it's the scribes, the leaders, or it's, or it's the people. But there's this sense of like, how could, how could God do that to his people? How could he give the vineyard to others? How could he punish these people? E- even though this vineyard had been given to them and they had totally rejected it. The idea that there would be judgment for their wrongdoing, was inconceivable. Unbelievable that God would would do this. They they couldn't fathom it. But Jesus continues, but he looked directly at them. And he said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And so there, there is this image of judgment that comes for those who have rejected Jesus. This image of, of, of stones falling on people or them falling on the stones. And it's interesting that you see that the stone that they reject, the, the very thing they reject is going to be the means of their judgment. They reject the stone and it is the stone itself that crushes them. Jesus' authority is the one that they rejected. And it is Jesus' very authority that he is going to use to judge them. 
Right? It's like if you're in school and you uh, reject the authority of your principal who has set rules and guidelines for the school and you reject that authority, it is that very authority that the principal actually has that he will use to cast you out of the school, to expel you. Je- Jesus has that authority. And when you reject it, it is that very authority that will be used to rightly render judgment. The people here in this passage, Jesus says, who have rejected him will not get off scot-free. It doesn't come right away, but this judgment will come. This was the problem. The tenants there in the passage, you know, they reject one servant. Nothing happens. They reject the second. There's still nothing. Everything seems fine. Reject a third. The son, they kill it. Why? Because uh, it doesn't seem like the owner is going to do anything about it. So they're fine rejecting it. And in fact, today, many people would say, okay, well, yeah, I'm not living for God. I'm not living for him, but it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't seem to affect me. It doesn't seem like God's that upset. Life's still going pretty well. But the owner eventually came. The judgment eventually came. And for us too, the, the, the judgment will eventually come for those who have rejected uh, Jesus, the Bible uh, speaks of, of not just a death, but an everlasting destruction. Uh, Paul speaks in 2 Thessalonians. He, he basically says, this, this is the destruction that is going to come when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There is a a judgment that's coming. And and so the question is, is what what will we do? Will we continue on in our life knowing that we've rejected the king? He's promised what's coming. But look at what else Jesus says. Not just that there's judgment, but there's a transfer that happens. He says he's going to give the vineyard to others. Who are those others? Well, probably the the Gentiles. It seems to be what Luke is talking about. The Jews had been given the gospel, and then his second half of his account, Acts, is all about how the gospel spreads, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But what we see is that there are some who, who reject Jesus. But for those who would receive Jesus, who receive him as king, there is actually real life. There's life in living for the, the king. Look at how John puts it in John chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus, he said, he came to his own, the Jews, his, his people. And his own people did not receive him. They, they rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's an option that's laid before us to, to reject Jesus, to reject his authority, or to receive him, to receive it and, and have the right of becoming children of God, of entering into God's kingdom, not just now, but for eternity. And we see we need to receive, to receive Jesus. And, and John says to receive it is to those who believe in his name. To receive Jesus is not mean that we need to now live perfect in, in perfect obedience to Jesus' authority. Uh, None of us are able to do that. But we believe in his name. We trust that Jesus on the cross has sufficiently paid for all of the sin, all of the rebellion that we have done. 
He has paid for that completely so that our sins might be forgiven, wiped clean, washed out, and that we might now enter into God's kingdom to live for him. Again, not perfectly, but we strive after it, longing and wanting to live rightly under the king's authority because we understand it's a good authority. It's a right authority. And so for those of us who would say, yes, I live under the king's authority, then we are to let our lives show that that authority is good. There's a good, right authority that we live under, that, that his laws are good and helpful and delight, and we can delight in them. So we, we show his authority is good by living in joy for our king. That's what we are called to do. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are our king our master, our God. And we desire more than anything to live for you. And yet there is so much of us still inside of us that gets in the way. So we ask your Holy Spirit to come and cleanse us, sanctify us, renew us, that we might live for you as your good and faithful servants, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.